There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome to the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. It is my pleasure, my honor, actually, to uh, present to you this week, courtesy of Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at EvergreenSTL.com, a St. Louis radio icon smash our guest this week. And I knew this was going to be the proverbial good one. But as you hear me say, I think like even just 10 minutes in, I, I'm going, I didn't know that. I didn't know that really. I mean, what in the world? Just so much there. And the thing, when I think about Smash, and we do talk about this um, toward the end of our conversation, I don't know if, I guess like if I'm, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do a, it's um, just off the cuff. I don't know if anybody is is more well-liked across the board, especially for the success he has had and the recognition he has had and the decades his career has spanned than Smash. And it's just a case of a guy who is just a likable, good person. That's, that's, that's essentially what it, uh, what it comes down to. And, that's that's what I think of at the forefront, and then I hear these stories that you're about to hear, and I'm just like, oh my god, this guy's something else. Um, so truly, an absolute, I mean, for real, an honor. Um, this was one that I knew when I started the podcast, I would I would want to have, and we finally got a chance to have it, and it's a conversation that I'm grateful that I was able to experience, and, and hopefully a number of you, many of whom may have absolutely zero idea who I am or what this show is, but you're a fan of Smashes. Uh, we'll subscribe to the podcast and know that we do these hour, hour and a half conversations with uh, most of the time St. Louis uh, athletic icons, political icons, uh, media icons. And uh, I don't know if anybody has better stories in this business than Smash. So a pleasure to have him come in. Grateful that he came into the HomeLoanExpert.com studios and spent about an hour, hour and 10 minutes with us uh, and talked it over regarding his career and also just his experiences and his, um, his, uh, his life uh, in radio. Hey, uh, without our sponsors, we're not able to do this. So please support them. It's, it's smash actually talked about, uh, the importance of the business. And this is the business of the business. The home loan expert.com is Ryan Kelly. And he is our studio sponsor here on the show. Uh, if you're refinancing, if you're buying a home, go to the home loan expert.com. Ryan Kelly is not, is just, there's nobody who's even going to be in, in the class of Ryan Kelly, uh, with regard to, uh, taking care of you with quickness, saving you money. It's Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert.com, our studio sponsor here on the Tim McKernan show, Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert.com. Our guest smash is presented by Mark Hanna of evergreen wealth strategies. He's online at evergreenstl.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to present to you smash. It's an honor. I mean, for real, this is an honor to have you in the studio. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. You know, what I was thinking about when uh, Kenny called me, uh, I remember that day because there was a friction between your show 
and upper management that's at... Uh, I like at, this. Uh, we, we, we start with Gangster Pete telling you to talk <laughs> to the mic, and we start right with the 590 demand thing. I mean, this is... You know how to broadcast because you're giving the people what they want right out of the gate. <laughs> so there was like this friction between you guys. Right. I'm looking at him thinking, man, this guy puts on a fantastic radio show, you and the, the crew over there. And uh, so I thought, well, be a good program director and go in and tell these guys you don't want to be against your upper management, but at the same time, let these guys know they're doing a good job. There's somebody there who appreciates them. I remember you doing that. Because, uh, and I say this in the wrong way, but oftentimes management is not on the level of the entertainer. And so they don't get the actuality of how to deliver correctly. That's correct. And so they might have a, a frictional situation with you. So I thought, man, I got to go in and let these guys know because, and I ain't saying this in the wrong way, because I was hired to be part of management, but I want you guys to know, and it's over now, so I don't care, but uh, <laughs> that uh, somebody appreciated uh, what you did. Well, over I appreciate that, uh, that. Yeah, Dan liked Bubble the Love Sponge, and he just wanted to put him in there. And there's I really, know. I mean, hey, it's cool. I mean, <laughs> I nobody, know. nobody. It even crossed our mind right. that you had anything to do with it. And also, I mean, you've been through this. My God, yeah. you know the program. Right up. If, if a corporation or manager wants to make a move that he or she thinks is better for the business, it's exactly. a business move. It's, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's the game. Uh, he put the money in, so right. it's that's his move. His call. So that, exactly that's right. totally cool. Yeah. When you, when you go back, because we have a picture from, the, there was a press conference, which I thought was an odd strategy. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't really heavily attended, if I yeah. recall correctly. Oh, <laughs> I remember. Go ahead, and I'm going I'm to put my thought on top of that. Go ahead, partner. What were you thinking, considering oh, all well. you have done in your career, and you're sitting there for that? Okay, all I was told was that there's going to be a press conference. Okay. I didn't know that that press conference was going to be broadcast on the airwaves. I thought it was a press conference. You stand in front on a podium and, and the press asks you questions. Right. So I get there that day. I'm new to this whole thing. I, I'm not the quote unquote program director yet. And uh, uh, I'm there and it's like maybe two guys in there. Well, the new patch was the, for real. That was the one media outlet. <laughs> I think that's right. Ah, that's funny. So, anyway, and so anyway, uh, I'm looking and I'm, and they had given me a mic in this room, a good sized room, but right. not a big room. And so he gave, gave me a mic and I'm thinking to myself, I don't need this mic. I'll just project and talk to the room. So I put the mic down and I'm talking to the room, but nobody told me we were on the air. So all this stuff that I was talking, wasn't nobody hearing on the airwaves, all right? Now, I didn't know we were going to be on the airwaves. So anyway, I'm uh, rolling like I'm rolling and this is going to be a wonderful place and all that kind of stuff. And uh, at the end... Um, I was told uh, you you should have uh, spoken to the mic. That's why I was laughing when, uh, <laughs> when <laughs> yeah, I rolled in here. actually had and something Pete. that was coincidentally correct. Oh, that was Smash funny. talking to the mic. That was that was that was that was really hilarious. Uh, it was a a magnificent era, and when I decided to to leave, I I it was just before the new building was to be applied on Hampton Avenue. Exactly right, and so. Um, I decided to um, go ahead and leave, and I thought, you you better tell them right now, because if you leave and nobody knows, they can say, well, we decided to fire this yeah, national. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I just broke into the Again, meeting. Again, you know the game. Yeah, and, uh, and said, listen, this is one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in radio, but I'm going to go ahead and leave, because I had, and, and nobody knows. Again, it's over, so who cares? Um, but I, I, I had a one-year contract, 
And when I do my contracts, because I'm a contract player, uh, at some point, there's a point where we got to say, let's sit down and negotiate the continuance. Or you got to say, hey, it's over. You got three months to phase this out. Or if you want me out now, then you're paying me for the next three months. So anyway, um, (laughs) or or if you, me, cut out on my own, I know I I got nothing for three months because I'm cutting out on my own. So at the nine-month point... Uh, that was the, the day before they were supposed to open up that office. And I thought, no, Ash, you better, you you better go ahead and cut it and let the, the new squad in here. And, uh, so I decided to cut it. And I did say to everybody, this is one of the magnificent experiences I've ever had in radio because it was, uh, wild to watch, um, the insurgence that was happening within, on a very quiet basis, yet it was quiet enough to make a lot of I noise. If you're watching, that. quiet insurgents. Yeah, nice. Because there what Now I wasn't there for that. We had left and we no, started yeah, our exactly station. Right. But I was yeah. curious, what was the quiet insurgents? Like well, people were, were. Did you get a paycheck every pay period? Because that became became one of the reasons. I remember that. That's right. But so you were good. You were. I was good. You, I'm as a contract, contract player. player. Yeah, you're right. Not be as part of the contractor. Yeah. So, uh, the quiet insurgents to me, because I wasn't hired to be program director. And Dan, you do an afternoon drive with yeah, Tony Twister. with Twister. And so Dan, who's a good guy, uh, decided to, uh, you know, get into the radio business. Uh, he did a magnificent job uh, building up this this uh, phone business thing that he did with Sprint. And so I noticed that he wasn't getting any help. And he didn't know exactly all what to do as far as radio is concerned. Now, I'm a rock and roll radio guy. I'm not a talk show host Mm -hmm. type of radio guy. And so after four times he asking me, I said, okay, I'm going to help him out. And I was able through that to get insurance off the company from my wife who was failing in health at that particular point in time. So I didn't want to be a program director because I just programmed myself. All right. right. (laughs) So... Anyway, uh, I wound up and started helping him out. And I saw the beginning of the boil over of uh, attitudes wherein, why in the world is Smash program director? Oh, really? Been, yeah. That, that, I didn't know that was. Oh, yeah. Idea. That's surprising. Oh, yeah, man. Hey, listen, I'm an easygoing guy. Right. So I let it easy go. Yeah. <laughs> it don't bother me. I'm in the radio business. It don't bother me. Somebody asked one time about. Uh, uh, if they had hurt my feelings in a different situation. I said, no, man, I'm in the radio business. I have no feelings. <laughs> right? <laughs> I would just keep on rolling. That's how you keep going. That's all you can do. If I had uh, feelings, I would probably be, would have been a plumber like my old man. And nobody's going to yell at me. You know, I just uh, work in the crawl spaces and, and that's what you do. Anyway, um, but I, I saw there was, uh, you know, people trying to usurp my power. Because I had a power now based on what Dan said. Mm-hmm. I'm the program director. Now, I was asked in the early on, what are you going to do as program director? Well, I came up with one line answer. I'm going to let the entertainers entertain. Because who am I to tell these guys who have excelled at their capability in putting on these talk shows long before I got there? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell them, hey, uh, let's let's tweak this up and let's lower this down and let's, you know, be a little more positive and maybe get off of being as uh, irritating as you normally are. And let's try to be friends with the community. All the kind of crap that they tell you, you know? So uh, 
I said, let the entertainers entertain. And so there was some of the entertainers <laughs> who were angry that I uh, got that job as program director when they had been here for a much longer time wow, than I, I and were deserving. I did not know that. I That's really my didn't. take on it. Wow. Thing, I, right? thought the, I honestly thought the anger was that it wasn't that it was operating at a deficit and then it got to a point where Dan couldn't make payroll. And I thought that was, ah, really, well, that's, that, that's that, their, that, their that situation. Been, that would have been after yeah. I think you were, that's, that's you their, were there. Uh, their situation between them and Dan. Yeah. I, I didn't step into that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know how anybody, but I mean, that's the thing I was thinking about that of people who are usually in radio, especially it seems like now I don't really sense. And if it's, if it's going on, I'm, I'm oblivious to it. Yeah. But I, I, if, if my understanding's correct, and you know the program from being on great stations with huge ratings, uh -huh. at KFNS, you're not going to get ratings. It, it doesn't matter what show. Yeah. It's just not going to get, it doesn't subscribe to Nielsen. But Rizzuto's show over at yeah. uh, 105.7 is the number one show in the market. Dave Glover's had a big following yeah. for a long time. But I don't believe that at this moment, now I might be wrong and you mm -hmm. might be aware of some things, that there really are some of the like wars that used to go on mm -hmm. between radio personalities. Right. Back in the day, and I don't know why that's changed. Yeah, like uh, Howard Stern, I heard him do an interview with Jimmy Kimmel and said, "I, if I were in your position, I'd hate Stephen Colbert and I'd hate yeah. Jimmy Fallon." And yeah. like, ah, we don't really, because Letterman hated Leno. Yeah, right. And then I wonder, and Stern's like, "Well, I hated Imus and I hated yeah. anybody I would go up against." Yeah. But you, in my opinion, have always been above that crap. Uh -huh. Even though a lot of guys from your era were guys that were buttonheads. Am yeah. I right on this? Uh, I was always above that because I was, I'm an entertainer, and. Uh, I was entertaining for one main purpose. I enjoyed it, but my one main purpose was to provide for my wife and kids. And I was able to do that by being this match, man. <laughs> and my job was to have a good time and translate that to the audience and to the sponsors. With people, especially these youngsters out there, and, and I ain't saying this in the wrong way, but sometimes I feel sorry for them because there's nobody to direct them into developing them into uh, the level of what we used to call talent. Mm -hmm. uh, because those then, positions have been eliminated in a sense. Or if you are a program director, you're running in like five stations. So yeah, right. time on. to work with talent. Exactly right. So um, I just, uh, I just, uh, I'm an easy going guy. Yeah. I, I let it uh, roll as it rolled. Although I will say when uh, I was coming to town, me and J.C. Corcoran were really good friends at DC 101. He worked at DC 101 before me and I came into DC 101. In fact, it was stern in the morning, smash in the afternoon. The day I arrived, <laughs> this is hilarious. So we're in the hotel room, and I wake up, and I'm listening to Stern in the morning on DC 101. And he's just cutting to shreds the general manager. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, this is going to be a great station to be on, you know? Because I was like the Howard Stern of Indianapolis back then. So I'm getting to come onto this station. Well, I get in at 10 a.m. for my meeting with the general manager. And... Uh, the secretary, uh, receptionist, whatever they're called nowadays, uh, said, Mr. Labar is in with Howard right now. And I'm thinking in my mind, yeah, I bet. And they come out two and a half hours later. I'm sitting in the lobby. I'm supposed to meet him at 10, two and a half hours later. Mr. Labar wants you to start tomorrow. He just fired Howard. And I'm thinking to myself, no, because two things. Uh, I'm new. Nobody knows me. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be the one taking Howard Stern's place. It was huge in D.C. And so the next day I take Howard Stern's place. And you want to talk about everybody berating me and calling me this and calling me that. It was spectacular.
spectacular. Spectacular. <laughs> That's the adjective you use, spectacular. Spectacular, man. It was spectacular. So you were outside the GM's office when he fired Howard Stern from Washington, D.C.? I was. I got my gig at DC 101 by being Howard's. Uh, Robin sat out for two days, and I was Robin. So and you so worked with Howard? I worked in, uh, well, I was the announcer for DC 101 for two years. Okay. And I would announce, you're listening to the Howard Stern Show. Uh, and um, and so for the audition to see whether they wanted Smash in the afternoon, because they had approached me, uh, I wasn't going to le- uh, leave. While you were in, in Indianapolis? In, in Indianapolis. Okay. I wasn't going to leave because I had a nice gig right. going in Indianapolis. But uh, I thought to myself, you know, uh, especially in the entertainment business at that time, uh, you know, once you reach a pinnacle and you got no place else to go, then down is probably the way you're going to be sliding. So uh, I just thought, you know, let me go someplace because in the band world, because I came from the band right. world, I'm a musician, a band guy. In the band world, the only way to know if you're any good is to go someplace nobody knows you. It's fine to be in Indianapolis and all my buddies that I grew up with are there and, hey, you're wonderful, boy, are you a rock and roller and all this stuff, you know? But nobody knows me in D.C. So you're thinking that at this time. And you're, what, yeah. in your 20s, I assume, right? Uh, 28. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I decided to take the D.C. gig because I wanted to see whether it was going to work. That's Plus a pretty nice be jump, with, too, in yeah, the nice jump, D.C. Yeah. And, so, and so it's afternoons. You're going to get the afternoon. So they uh, bring me in, not only as an announcer, and I did a bunch of liners for him and everything, but then they said, we'd like to uh, have you sit in with Howard uh, next couple of mornings. And so I did. And it was pretty hilarious. And uh, they take me in afterwards, and and Mr. Labar says, we want you to come do afternoons for us here. And uh, I said, okay. He said, this was an important thing, and a lot of people ought to learn off of this line right here. He said, the reason we liked you is because you didn't try to take Howard's spot. You knew how to be a second banana. And a lot of people don't know how to be a second banana. Uh, Ed McMahon was the prime example of a heralded second banana, you know, to Johnny Carson. So, you know, you got to know what your place is. I've always looked at, uh, especially doing uh, just like like what you do with your crew, uh, morning radio shows, uh, ensemble radio shows as, uh, as, as the ensemble. And the only reason I can excel is because these folks are doing their part of the movie 100%, correctly. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I, I kind of get frustrated, I guess, even though if it's, it's a compliment to me. It's like, oh, you're the guy. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I might be the guy who you yeah. hear in and out of breaks. But without the five people on the yeah. show, I'm nothing, man. Yeah. But, you know? I, I know. That's it. Period. I just got uh, inducted with Katie Cruz uh, and, oh, and some others, Steve Rosen, uh, some others, uh, Ted Hobbeck, uh, Johnny, Johnny Rabbit. Uh, and um, in the St. Louis Radio Hall of Fame, so, yeah, right, uh, Classic Rock Hall of Fame. So one of the things I said, because they used to ask me, "How are your numbers?" and I would always say, "I ain't got no numbers. It's our numbers." Uh-huh. Because if engineering ain't working correctly, ain't no ain't nobody gonna hear me. Sales, if sales ain't selling, selling right. out there. Ain't yep. nobody gonna buy it. Sales. So the it's our. It's it's yes, our number. Absolutely. And so you know, I, I, I said thanks to my KC family because that was my classic rock experience here in town, and uh, and so that's that's kind of the angle I took all that stuff at. Which is probably why you've been able to be successful for so long, is you had a healthy mindset even back in your twenties when some. I mean, I was a complete. I mean, I might probably even ask now, but especially in my twenties, like, yeah. oh my god, yeah. you know. But you had that mindset even then. 
that's a that's a tribute to you. Yeah, perhaps well, the way you were raised. I don't know. Well, it's about how you want to grow. Yeah, and I wanted to grow in the world of entertainment on the rock and roll side, and uh, I wanted to grow in a in a positive way. I didn't want to be the uh, I believe in podcasts. You're allowed to cuss, right? Absolutely. I didn't want to be the asshole a lot of people uh, were it, and it, wanted it, me radio. to be and wanted me to yeah. be. Yeah, was Stern an asshole? Was he cool to you when you're in there? What was that like? Oh, when I was in with him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hilarious, because I'm thinking to myself, this guy is what I was doing in Indianapolis, but I had to really tiptoe around in Indianapolis because it's a much more stoic sure. type of town than D.C. I'm thinking, wow, this would be a killer gig if I got this thing here. And so he was stern like you. You hear me? He had no filter other than knowing the fact that you couldn't drop F-bombs. Right. And, and back then... Uh, uh, shit and all kinds right. of other stuff was incorrect, you know? But he knew as an entertainer and he knew his audience how to drop these things in in a way that uh, made him stand out. Yeah, that's yep. the key. I, I was having a conversation, I don't know if I should say the person's name, I think we both know him and I think we both like him too, who's in radio in St. Louis and management. And I said, well, why is this guy, one of his people left and went to, um, and he's still killing it in another big market, so mm -hmm. people can do the calculus on this if they'd like. And I said, well, what makes him so successful? And he said, he can mobilize his audience. He goes, yeah. that's it. Right. That, and that is, when it gets down to a talent quality of this or that, if you can mobilize an right. audience, that will always be the right primary on. thing. What is your opinion? Is that the... Oh, yeah, that's what I did uh, from Indianapolis to D.C., uh, when I got to DC, number one, uh, I talk with a different style and a different delivery. Some people like it, some people don't. Oh, I think it's wolf. the greatest. Well, I was <laughs> the greatest <laughs> voice going. I was uh, <laughs> accused of being a Wolfman Jack ripoff and all that kind of stuff back then. And it's, I grew up uh, in a black neighborhood. It, when we came to America, I was born in Greece, the country. And when we came to America, I was two years old. The neighborhood we moved in was first Europeans. Europeans moved out that went to other parts of Indianapolis. And uh, then the hillbillies came in. Hillbillies move out. And then the black folks came in. And uh, urban deterioration began. And so my parents wound up moving out. They saved the money. My old man was a plumber. And so uh, he was able to save en enough money from working. And mom helped him work because she'd answer the phones and everything. And uh, uh, we... I was accepted in this black high school. And if you were going to be one with your environment, then you need to adapt to your environment. And so I more or less, uh, without losing my Caucasian-ness, uh, was able to <laughs> employ a blackness to my delivery. Oh, and so everybody, I'm, I'm swear to you, everybody asked me, and they still do, are you from New Orleans? And I never thought that I sounded like a New Orleans guy. But uh, people think I'm from New Orleans. I fit into, when I first got to uh, the DC 101, they thought I was a black guy on the air. And uh, the black community in DC was heralding Mr. Labar. And everybody saying, wow, thanks for getting a black rock and roller on there. And then he had to tell them, no, this is a white guy. <laughs> so I was able to uh, uh, not... Uh, grab their consternation because I was a white guy acting black. It's just that that's where I grew up, and that's uh, how I I came along. How about that? I didn't know. I did not know that element of the high school and the and the upbringing. Yeah, I was uh, about eighty five percent black. I was uh, 
one of a handful of white athletes. And so that's part of the acceptance. And what were you uh, playing? I played football and then basketball and then track. Hell of an athlete. Oh, Wait, yeah. I, I was at one time and then uh, did some uh, college uh, football at DePaul University. Oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't and, know that. Uh, Greencastle, Indian. Greencastle, I looked Indiana. At, I looked at DePaul. Did you? Yeah, I did. That's a nice good, place, good man. communications. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I went there for pre-med because... Holy crap. What being, is going on? This is like revelation after revelation. <laughs> <laughs> I went there for pre-med because uh, my, my old man wanted me... me, me my old man wanted me to be a doctor, and I didn't want to be a doctor, but you try to please the parents and all that. I went to DePaul because they gave me a full scholarship. I wanted to go to UCLA, but they wouldn't give me the full scholarship. So You want to go to UCLA and play football? Yeah. Or, is that what you want to do? That's what I was wanting to do. Man. I didn't, I didn't I mean, take you know, it because you... I didn't get a scholarship, <laughs> and I didn't want to tax mom and pop's money sure. to put me into an out-of-state school, which was a lot of money back sure. then. So I went to DePaul and uh, got a nice ride over there, but I could not stand it, man. And I'm over What there. didn't you like about it? Because um, my, pre- my my p- position, who knows what it was like when you were, it's, yeah. it's super preppy, you know, and I don't know. Well, what I didn't like about it, it was that I'm studying to be a doctor and I don't want to be a doctor. Well, that's simple also. And so, <laughs> and so I transferred to Indiana University. I worked my ass off to get a, a, a C average in, uh, in uh, my total grades at DePaul. Uh-huh. I transferred to IU the next year. I was an A student. Really? So I didn't have to work as hard. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> That's not nice. a totally That's different perfect. kind of institution. Yeah. Yeah. But I studied pre-law there because I wanted to be a, a doc- doctor of jurisprudence and be a judge because I hate injustice. And I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick every criminal's ass when I'm the judge. Yeah. All right? Doctor, so anyway, judge, football player, yeah, but I got bit musician. By the, I got bit by the rock and roll bug. And uh, when did, was that in high school or was no, that, that in was, college? That was in college. I got bit by the rock and roll bug when I saw the Beatles. We always liked the Temptations and all that, and you know, Four Tops and Motown because of the environment I was in. Mm-hmm. But the Beatles rolled into the Ed Sullivan show. Of course, back then, they had nothing to do, so you'd watch Bonanza on Saturday, Sunday nights along with Ed Sullivan. And um, and so I, I was watching as the Beatles, and I'm like, holy mackerel, man, I want some of that, you know, because number one, I like the music, number two, the girls are going crazy, <laughs> right? So you're a young man with. Uh, bubbling over testosterone <laughs> levels. And so you got girls screaming for you because you're singing songs. The next day, I combed my hair, and I have kinky Jew boy uh, hair. And I combed it forward to have bangs, and I looked like the biggest dumbass anybody could look like. <laughs> but I had bangs, and I was like the Beatles. And uh, so that's when I really got bit. I started my first band uh, in high school, the Short Ridge High School in Indianapolis. Uh, and... Frenchie and the Wee Wees? It was Frenchie and the Wee Wees. And we thought we were like the coolest guys because we were able to say a dirty word, piss, by saying wee wee, which in French means yes, yes. But in reality, we were talking about wee wee. Fun with double entendre. Exactly right. So uh, anyway, uh, that's how it all started is uh, being in Frenchie and the Wee Wees and the acceptance that we got from So people people like Frenchie and the Wee Wees? They did. What was your role with Frenchie and the Wee Wees? Lead singer. I've always always been the businessman and the lead singer. And uh, then when we moved uh, to Indiana University, we started the band back up. We called it Pure Funk Course. We were a bunch of white guys playing black music. And that's what the Wee Wees were. And and then it turned into a band called Roadmaster because we were masters of the road and we had recording contract and that kind of stuff. And... We, you guys uh, were like, 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 like people had their bands in high school and college, and it's kept my kind of. But I have here in yeah. in, in, in the research on getting together with you mm-hmm. that you guys toured with Ario Speedwagon. Oh, 
You got a quick second here? Yeah, of course, of course I right. do. I got, I'm worried I'm going to keep you too long. That's what uh, I'm worried. I got all the time you want. It's the great REO <laughs> story. Now we Because we had an album out, and uh, we opened up for Bob Seger, for Rush, everybody coming up in those days. You Average know? white band, cheap yeah, thing, Rush, yeah, yeah, yes. All of them, all of them. And, and, and Sticks, all of them. REO Speedway. Now, we had an album out. REO had its uh, first album out, so we thought, oh, we're all badasses. Look at us. We go to Roberts Arena in Evansville, Indiana, University of uh, Evansville. And we're backstage, 10,000-seat uh, arena, all right? Now, REO to that point in time was a bar band. Roadmaster at that point in time was a bar band. And we used to crisscross in the bars and everything. Irv Azoff was their uh, manager at that time out of, out of Carbondale, Illinois. And we handled uh, Indiana and Eastward. And so we would crisscross the bands into each other's territory and share the uh, commissions. So we thought we were something. 10,000 seater. So we happened to open up for REO because that was closer to their ter territory than, than ours, even though Indianapolis is just up the road. Nevertheless, we get out there, we open up. 10,000 people. There's only 100 people in the whole auditorium. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> 100 people, man. <laughs> and we looked out there, and it was hollow. And uh, then comes the old adage, you got to put out for 100 people as you would for 10,000 people. So we gave them a good show. REO gave them a good show, but uh, we learned a big lesson that day, you know, uh, because we got humiliated on a massive basis. Uh, and the beauty of that was if, if you're smart, you learn from all levels of adulation all the way to humiliation, you know? So you're, you're a musician, but then I, my understanding on this is you're in to be interviewed yeah. for the band. Yeah. But what, the program director, GM, DJ, I don't know, heard your voice and said, hey, would you be interested in possibly doing oh, this? Oh, yeah. Is that, how uh, it, is that how your radio career began? Uh, it ran w, parallel? WNAP radio, and they used to promote us on there. Which was, uh, is that like the KC of Indianapolis? Yeah, yeah okay. it was at that time. Uh, and so uh, they promoted us. Well, I was kind of a raucous character, especially for Indiana. And so they brought me in one night because every Friday night was celebrity guest DJ night. The mayor would come on and play his favorite records, Indiana Pacers, Indianapolis 500 dr drivers, whoever. So they invited me. And so I bring a Peaches crate of records. And I did what I did with the band and still do with the band. Um, I sang a song, told a joke, sang a song, told a joke, back and forth, back and forth. Only instead of the band, it was Elton John, tell a joke. The Eagles, tell a joke. The Beatles, tell a joke. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I went in and did it that, like that. They showed me how to work the board, and I thought, I don't care about working the board. I'm just going to be here one night. Well, they left me, all of them. <laughs> I didn't know oh, how to no. work the board. Yeah, I'm playing commercials where songs are playing. And, uh, you know, I've eventually figured out you got to lift the needle if you wanted to quit playing. And uh, and so the following Tuesday, they they bring me in, and he, the program director uh, is laughing at me. And he said, yeah, we were in the car listening to you screw everything up. And he said, we'd like to offer you the, the job of midnight to six. And uh, it'll be 90 bucks a week. Now, I'm trying to be a rock star with my band. And we were playing all over the Midwest, regionally, and six, seven nights a week, you know, if not afternoons also. And by the time we got home, we made 50 bucks. Oh, no. I'm on serious business. Yeah. 
because, I mean, you're housing all those people in hotels and all that kind of stuff, food, all that. Eventually, after you pay all all the uh, incidentals, everybody gets 50 bucks at the end of the week. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I can stay home and make 90 instead of traveling all over the place and make 50 and so I said, all right, I'll take the gig. And I did uh, Midnight to Six to start up. That, in my opinion, was my favorite shift in radio because none of the suits were there. Nobody was there. And uh, you had no regulation on you because at least I didn't at that uh, particular point in time because none of those people were there. Um, plus, back in those days, man, we used to get stoned and people bring you pot and stuff <laughs> right, right to the door. I, didn't care. I saw that. I watched that Casey documentary. They talked about in Crest where people just roll up to yeah, the window that's, and yeah, hand Yeah, that's them. what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, uh, that's the old story. Yeah, on, so on you Casey. had that same thing going too? Same type of thing. Yeah. Only, yeah. only they'd knock on the door or we'd meet them in the back door. And then we went down to the boiler room because there's only one guy in the, in the station beyond me and that was the engineer. And um, those are good days, man. That was, that was fun. And then. I didn't want to be a DJ because I hated these guys because they talked over the music. And I did my first gig as the mighty Adam Smasher. That was my name at that time, A-D-A-M, Smasher. Did you come up with that? No, Toby Myers, who was in the band, uh, went on to become Mellencamp's uh, bass guitar player. He came up with that. We were playing in Chicago. He wakes me up and he says, I got your name. Because I had named everybody in the band. I always give everybody names stage names, pseudonyms, whatever. And I had named myself, because at that the point in time, I weighed about 350, and uh, hair is <laughs> crazy. And uh, if you go to asherbenruby.com, you'll see the picture of me, all the hair. I'm playing, right playing, playing, playing the bongos or something. <laughs> and uh, I named myself, because back in those days, I loved Nat King Cole, but I looked like an animal. I named myself Nat King Kong, because I was a singer, and an animal at the same time, big as the gorilla. And so I was Nat King Kong for about six uh, oh, weeks until he uh, came up with uh, the Mighty Adam Smasher. And so that's how I <laughs> began uh, in the business as the Mighty Adam Smasher. And uh, I shortened that to the smash. And everything's been magnificent since. I would say so. So, yeah, I'm looking at a picture. I see I see the lid and you're sporting overalls. Yeah. You got exactly the headphones right. up there. There it is. That's perfect. Oh, no, know. that's not the one, man. <laughs> We got an even better one. I got an even better one. Though. And by the way, I see there's also a link of the, uh, which I'm going to get into in a moment, the interview with Guns N' Roses on MTV. Oh, I yeah. watched that last night. No one yeah. coming in. Right on. What Ranked one of the, what, greatest uh, interviews oh, yeah. in Rolling Stone. Uh, it was it was wild because these guys are coming in. They're supporting their first album. And you're doing this like in 87, right? 87. Give or take right around when Appetite for Destruction comes out. Yeah. And um, so I'm hosting Headbangers Ball. And... Um, I go to the the uh, producer and I say, you know, they're tearing down the studio tomorrow, meaning oh. MTV. I said, instead of you tearing it down after the interview, let's let these guys be rock and rollers and tear the place up. Perfect. And so uh, he said, okay. And I told, I never forgot, I told Axel and Slash. And, uh, and they said, sure. And they did. And it was <laughs> magnificent, man. Uh, Axel is pretty funny because he's from Lafayette, Indiana. And he said, oh, I used to come watch you play all the time at these gigs and all these kinds oh, of gigs. Oh, no way. Yeah. He didn't know that uh, I was from Indiana. I just was talking and uh, when we were introducing uh, ourselves. And then MTV writes this up years later as one of the top 40, because top 40 was a radio format, mm -hmm. one of the top 40 greatest moments in MTV history. 
And so I never thought that I would be just use the term immortalized in that <laughs> in that fashion. But uh, they play it year after year. Um, this uh, iHeartRadio has opened up a big podcast division in New York City, and so they called me and they interviewed me on that and various other things for an hour and forty five minutes. I was telling Kenny for an hour and forty five minutes. I could watch a movie, man. Who would want to listen to me? You're taking a shot at my phone here. <laughs> oh, sorry, sir. <laughs> Beware, I might go longer if I don't, if I don't get my shit together. So, <laughs> yeah, I was watching that last night, and I, I don't know if I missed something, yeah. because at the end, I'm like, you guys are going to take care of the studio force, and then they start going back, and they start destroying shit yeah, right behind right, you, and I'm like, man, right. this is crazy. I wonder what they think at MTV, but I yeah. didn't realize they were taking down the set the next day. Yeah, exactly right. So what were those guys? like? Had you, did you know them before they're sitting down on the I, I did not. Axel happened to watch you when you were performing growing up. Oh, growing up. Yeah. Yes, he was growing up, because we used to play those places in Lafayette, Indiana, and the frat parties at Purdue University and all that stuff, and um, just a casual, casual conversation with mm -hmm. those guys. They were up and coming, and... Um, they were kind of like, kind of like, oftentimes people like that, musicians, will try to intimidate the person who's interviewing them because they don't put them, the musicians, don't put that person on the same level as they, because that person doesn't have the experience. He's somebody who just likes their music. Thank you for liking it, but uh, don't try to be my friend. And one of the things that they do is try to intimidate you. Well, the beauty of the situation was they couldn't intimidate me because I had already done what they were doing, mm -hmm. just not to that uh, level as far as success is concerned. And so when they found out that uh, that I was that guy at uh, playing in Lafayette, Indiana, they were all friendly and everything it was... So you had some credibility. Was, yeah, I got credibility. Because one of the things you were asking them was about how difficult the reputation they were starting to get. And this is four years before Riverport. Oh, yeah. this The reputation they're starting to get is being yeah. difficult to work with. And right I'm like, on. ooh, look at Smash kind of going 60 minutes on, on Axl Rose. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Uh, that, was, uh, that was magnificent. Because you, you never know what's, what's going to... You throw everything up there and what's going to stick, you know? Uh -huh. So that you know, taken by his history. Yeah. Yeah. So that's God, pretty that's, wild. It's a classic. Yeah. It's on YouTube for people to watch it or on asherbenruby.com. Hope you're enjoying this conversation with smash here on the Tim McKernan show on the inside STL podcast network. Hey, friendly reminder that, uh, we have these every single, uh, Monday, new interviews every Monday. And we have, uh, at this point, 26 months worth of them. So uh, you can go back on InsideSTL.com and listen to them, or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Outcast, wherever, and spread the word because, uh, you know, whether it be somebody who has served in uh, the U.S. Senate like Jack Danforth, um, hockey legends, uh, whether it be Keith Kachuk, Kelly Chase, hockey broadcasters like Darren Pang, John Kelly, uh, we've had Joey Vitalian, we've had Chris Kerber in a few times, media personalities in St. Louis, like Mike Bush, Courtney Bryant, um, Dave Glover, Rizzuto, uh, of course, now the great smash. We've got, we've got Gary Pinkles, my very first guest, uh, got Mike Schilt, John Mazalock, Mike Matheny when he was, uh, the manager. Uh, it, it, the point is we've, we've been able to establish a track record here of getting, some big names in the region to come in and talk and usually talk for about an hour. So uh, we got a good thing going here, and we're very grateful to the sponsors for making it happen. So please subscribe, please support, please spread the word. Our producers work hard to make this happen, and our sponsors make it possible. And Mark Hanna presents our guests every week. He's online at evergreenstl.com, Mark Hanna, uh, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. 
And, you know, I, I, I get fired up when I talk about Mark, but in general, I'm talking about making sure you have a financial advisor. And I'm not talking about somebody who's like playing the market for you and saying, Hey, you need to buy this thing up or you need to sell this ASAP. I'm not talking, I'm talking about somebody who puts you on the right path because I really messed up and I didn't do that until just a couple of years ago with monitoring my money. It's something you're going to hear smash talk about here over the course of the remainder of this interview. Um, just being smart with the business of this business. And, uh, Mark is the, is the person, I don't know if I really, as far as quality of people, with knowledge on the business, um, who's going to take care of everyday people every day. Mark Hanna is your person. His number is 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, especially as you wrap up your year end. Mark Hanna is the person to help you with that. Give him a call. I'm telling you, my promise is you will be happy you did. 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. And I have another recommendation for you. And that's James Carlton, the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Um, so much so that I got to know James and I personally made the switch to James Carlton for my family. I was just like, he's too good for us to not do business with him. And James is like, oh, I don't, I'm not advertising because I expect it. I, I know you weren't. I know you weren't. But I've gotten to know you and I've interacted with you and there's no reason why I wouldn't want to be with the best. Why wouldn't I? So now you can be with the best as well. And, and I'm telling you, so many people have done it and that makes me happy because now I know our listeners are with the best in St. Louis. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. Now back to Smash. So you're at DC 101. Yep. Doing afternoons? Afternoons. And Because uh, Stern had left. Right. So I did uh, about two and a half months by myself because uh, Robin went with him. Everybody went with him. Fred, everybody. Right, yeah. So anyway... Uh, so I'm doing it by myself and, and just catching the barrage of you, you know, your piece of crap, yeah. you know, bring back Howard and all that kind of stuff. And the beauty of Howard, being a magnificent uh, strategist, went to the com com competition, WAVA, W-A-V-A. And so he's on WAVA while I'm on over there. So boom, you know, <laughs> ratings are gone for, yeah. and, and I'm the bad guy. <laughs> but uh, the beauty of it was that that's the same with me and JC. We never lost our friendship. So I was kind of a friend with Howard Stern, not hanging out with him, not going to gloves with him. Like this, friends on a professional level uh, because I was his announcer for the two years prior to me coming on and auditioning with him. And so when they did the movie, Private Parts, mm -hmm. uh, they called me and said, do you have any announcement to tapes of when you were announcing Howard? Oh, yeah. So I sent him over there thinking, well, they're going to have me in the movies being the announcer. Nobody ever called back. But anyway, <laughs> anyway they, uh, they, you know, used, uh, they didn't use me, but they used the same kind of announcer in the movies. It was uh, glorious, man. What did you think of that movie? Glorious. Oh, it was magnificent. But let me tell you this. I ain't saying this in the wrong way. But you know that part where he's telling a girl to sit on her speaker or something yes. like that? And he goes like that. That was you. Well, he had it in the movie, but when I came, right? No, I know, I know yeah. the scene. It's a famous scene. When uh, girls, you were doing that. Girls would uh, call and call in, yeah, and uh, and say, you know, I need a little help. I'm depressed or whatever. Because back then you were an aide to people uh, in that situation. So I'd say, all right, well, uh, take your headphones, just one of your headphones, and put it into your lower extremity. 
And so, so professional. Is it there? Yeah. Is it there? And you would hear in the distance, yeah, it's there. And so uh, I said, okay, get ready. And I went like that. And <laughs> then tell her you ran out of breath. And uh, and uh, I did that on Casey when I got here too and, and everything. And the crazy part about it is I see it in, in private parts. I didn't know whether Howard did it before I did, but the first time I ever heard it was when I did it. So that was your idea. You I'm not were the saying first that. To do it. I'm not saying that because there's many because of the the, the vastness of of the world. Mm-hmm. There's people doing the same stuff I'm doing. Sure. You just don't hear it. All right. So maybe he did that at a point in time. I didn't. I didn't hear from it. But I used to have. <laughs> then they started. All girls started called in. Can you brr me? So we would do that as a bit. It was a magnificent era that accepted a level of stupidity without being concerned about what's politically correct. And uh, it was a magnificent era. Yeah, I would say so. I honestly don't think because you would think with time the rules would be looser. But yeah, I don't you think would. we could do that now. I know. I don't think we could do I know. that now. I know. When I first uh, moved to D.C., that was uh, late, late June. Uh, what was it 82, I think it was. Anyway, so I learned about political correctness in D.C. It was maybe the night before Thanksgiving. I was on the air because they always made the afternoon guys uh, stay anyhow, but the morning guys always got uh, the time off. <laughs> anyway, um, I just did a stupid joke. And uh, I said... Uh, you know, you know. Thank we ought to be giving thanks for the pilgrims because if it weren't for the pilgrims, we'd all be talking like Tonto. So I say this Monday, all right? The National Association of Native Americans is picketing the whole M because Street of that line. Because of that line, yeah. And so that's the first time I learned about political correctness. Got uh, thrown off the air for three days, and uh, and this uh, is eighty two. Eighty, yeah. Wow. November 82. Wow. Yeah, pretty wild. Oh, so, uh, what, they just suspend you? Is that the deal? Yeah, just yeah. for three days. And uh, I learned my lesson and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so now you got to be wary because, uh, you know, if, if it goes too bad, then they can just fire you. Absolutely. And if they fire you, then you can't support your family. So you just, you got to be wary. But Mr. Labar was one who uh, loved controversy and one of the reasons Howard flourished uh, there for a long, long time and uh, and understood what happened and understood it was just a funny line so he didn't let me go. And, uh, you know, I go back on uh, Monday and apologize uh, three days after the mm-hmm. suspension and I apologize and all that kind of stuff. So that's my first uh, touch of political correctness. Uh, How long were you at uh, in D.C.? I uh, came here in 88, so six years. Six years? Yeah, I came here in 88, started up at Keishi, January of 88. And Keishi, mm-hmm. I mean, I, Keishi is, Keishi is, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's synonymous with rock and roll. Oh, and yeah. You don't have to be in St. Louis to know yeah. about Keishi. What was the move for you from D.C. to St. Louis? Was well, I had reached a pinnacle in D.C. Yeah. It's the number one afternoon show, believe it or not, rock and roll in D.C., uh, as number one afternoon show. And so um, I'd gone as far as I could go. Grease Man, who was doing mornings, was a huge hit in D.C. And we had a killer ensemble smashing the Grease Man. And we'd go out and do nightclub shows together and all that kind of stuff. That's where I started what was called the Smash Adult Party Games. And uh, they were huge at KC. And so um, 
um, I was working for Emma's Communications out of Indianapolis. Sure. Because once my time at DC 101 was over, because I decided to move on, I was going to be the host of the brand new Hot 97 urban radio station in New York City. That was my gig. So in the interim, I got the gig at MTV, and I thought, this is going to be beautiful, MTV in, in the afternoon and smash on Urban uh, 97.1, Hot 97 uh, in the morning. And so three days before I was supposed to start at Hot 97, uh, I get a call from management at Emmis. Listen, we're having a lot of problems uh, in St. Louis. Corcoran's kicking our ass because Corcoran had slid over to uh, KSD. Okay. And would you consider coming to St. Louis? So I thought, well, you know, if this was Indianapolis and I was working on a black station, they probably would take to me because I knew a lot of uh, black folks in uh, Indianapolis. They don't know me in New York. New York is harsh. Yeah. So if I come in with this New Orleans accent that I was talking about earlier, people are yeah. in New Orleans. <laughs> so this is a white guy trying to be a black guy. And um, so I thought to myself, well, Casey, at that point in time, I don't know what it is now. Of course, it's grand here in uh, St. Louis, ah, it's grand here in St. Louis, but uh, uh, I had the opportunity to be on WNAP, one of the top stations of its kind, DC 101, one of the top rockers of its kind, and then to slide over to Casey, because at that point in time, it was like one of the top five uh, rock and roll radio stations in the country. And so I decided to take the Casey gig because New York, um, for us, to, we just had two little babies. Uh, New York is a, an expensive flight to oh. Indianapolis. St. Louis is a five-hour drive to Indianapolis in those days. I can make it a three and a half now. But a <laughs> uh, five-hour drive back in those days. And so I thought, well, for the family, take Casey. That'll be good because you are, are a rock and roller. And uh, I called JC. And because I had talked with JC, uh, you know, many, many times with friends. And uh, I called him. <laughs> and I called him and I said, uh, listen, man, uh, I'm coming to compete against you. What do you mean? I said, I'm going to take the gig at KC95. Click. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't talk to him for six years. <laughs> no way. No, wow. Serious business. And from there ensued what is called the Great Radio Wars because it was a magnificent era in St. Louis radio of guys just, you know, button heads and rock and rollers, button heads. And you got these rockers who love JC and these rockers who love the smash. And then there's the, the transitory ones that went back and forth between them. And as soon as smash was done talking, if you didn't like the song that was being played, blam, you go uh, over to, uh, to JC or vice versa. <laughs> and, uh, and so that went for six years and I just being a businessman, I mean to tell you, they made a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Now, we got paid good, but they, meaning the companies, mm -hmm. made a lot, a lot of money uh, because of all the ads that they were able to sell off of that rivalry. And um, when that was over, then... Uh, <laughs> now, how did it end? How, how, did well, it end? I, how it ended is uh, Casey had brought in this guy. Uh, and, you know, oftentimes when they bring in these program directors, they want to put their people in place. And so he, I was taking a vacation once and he came up to me <laughs> before I left. said, listen, I'm, I'm going to bring in uh, Bobby and Johnny and they're going to audition for your gig. 
That's what he tells me. I know. Now, this is a, a number one radio show in, in the city. Had beaten Camel X a couple of times. Not every time, but a couple of times. And he's telling me he's getting rid of me. And he's bringing them in while I'm on vacation. So, anyway, <clears throat> none of those guys uh, ever got the job, uh, any of the guys he brought in. And uh, he was uh, he was an ass. He knows who he is. Uh, he was just a punk ass, man. This is the meanest you will ever get. <laughs> uh, he was a punk ass. And, and uh, such a punk ass that about a year and a half after I left, because I said, yeah, I'm a contract player. Uh, my contract's up. I said, okay, I'm leaving. Well, you can't leave. You're the franchise. Well, if I'm the franchise, you don't treat the franchise like you treated me. And so I walked. And... Uh, and, and what are you talking about? We're like a 94 now, 95? That was 93. 93, okay. Yeah, 93, that's right. Uh, 93. And uh, so, maybe 94. I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> but it's right in there. And so, um, I walked. Now, a year and a half after I left, they, my brethren, let's call them, at Casey, the whole staff, signed a petition, handed it to John Beck, and said, we want this guy out of here, or we will mutiny the ship. And they got rid of that guy. Wow. Now, is this guy still in St. Louis? No, I don't, I don't, I don't know, know where about. he is. Okay. It doesn't sound no, like I'm you're not concerned. The, yeah, he knows who he is, and, and my KC friends who might be listening to this knows who, know who he is. And, um, you know, in, in reality, to treat somebody like that, the way he treated me because he wanted to, see... Youngsters, listen to me now. Oftentimes, they'll bring these boys in to be assholes to you, to get you. Well, you can't treat me like that. I'm leaving. Well, if I leave... Is this the Paul Giamatti character in private parts? I mean, is there... Is there some... In a way, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so, one of the things that my attorney at the time told me is, don't leave, keep taking the money. And uh, <laughs> so... Uh, I uh, kept taking uh, the money, and then when my contract was up, I didn't uh, even bother to negotiate it, give him two, two weeks' notice, and, and walked. And uh, the main thing uh, to remember is, is don't let them get to you, because when you do, you lose. Blatant example, I was working, at, uh, working for Clear Channel. And uh, and Clear Channel at that time fired 2,600 people across the country in a two-day period. Wow. 60 in St. Uh, Louis. I was one of the 60. What station are you at here? KLOU. KLOU, yeah, okay. And, and uh, <clears throat> I'm one of the 60. And I had a good run at KLOU. Well, uh, your, your numbers weren't uh, what we expected. Well, I tell you, I didn't expect to get to KLOU. And in a two-year period, you changed the format four times. I was hired to do oldies because I love the oldies, mm -hmm. all right? Not rock and roll, but, but the oldies. All right, beautiful. Two days before I was to start doing the oldies, <laughs> well, we decided to uh, change the, the format. Oh, really? Well, what are you going to do now? Well, we're going to take on KZK. Oh, no. I'm thinking to myself, KZK? If you'd have told me KZK, I wouldn't have come over here. I'm not a uh, soft rock, happy-go-lucky uh, type of you're guy. You're not Delilah. <laughs> This ain't pillow talk. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hard pillow here. So anyway, uh, anyway, um, they had brought in a guy. I don't remember his name. Uh, let's call him uh, Mr. Guy. 
So they brought in Mr. Guy. Mr. Guy was an ass, man. He was mean to everybody. Mean to these people who, had, who, who were striving to make this thing work, this KLOU, even in the four format changes that you, upper management, and your brilliance did in, in a town that takes two their take-two. But instead, you threw the take-two away and said, oh, we're going to be the... Well, six months later, they went back to uh, light... Uh, was it a medium rock format? And then they went back to oldies. Okay, I'll float. Right. I'm under contract. I'm a contract player. I'll float. So this guy, Mr. Guy, uh, got all these people to uh, quit. Now, when you quit... I don't have to pay your salary right, no more. Right. I ain't got to pay your uh, medical. We're done. And so I remember what my attorney at that time told me a long time back was keep taking the money. And while this guy's berating me in private meetings and in front of other people, uh, I kept laughing within saying, you dumb mf <laughs> I know what you're doing. And came time to get rid of me. So it's, the general manager, it's the HR lady, and it's Mr. Guy. And so the general manager who hired me uh, <clears throat> said, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, not uh, anything against you. And I said, I ain't worried about that. But I tell you what, Mr. General Manager, you're firing the wrong guy. What do you mean by that? It's nothing personal. I said, I know it's nothing personal. And neither is this what I'm about to say. But you brought in Mr. Guy to anger me in such a way that you wanted me to quit. But now you got to give me $150,000. So he's all that, you know, and the uh, <laughs> HR lady who was a friend of mine is sitting stoically right there, just not uh, moving in any way. And so I said, now if you going to fire somebody, fire Mr. Guy because he just cost you $150,000. They sent me my $150,000. Yeah. Yeah. So the goal was to try to get you to quit. Well, you yeah, know what then they doing. don't have to pay me no more. Yeah, exactly. But you yeah. know what they're doing. Yeah. And you're like, no circumstance, I'm going to quit. No, so no, no. You're going to have to too good of money. Pull, peel that check off. Right. So people don't notice stuff, man. I'm, for some reason, uh, breaking breaking down to you, Tim. <laughs> good, though. I've been there. I, I had it in 2007. I knew they were trying to get me to quit. Yeah. And they owed me nearly two years. And once I knew they were trying to get me to quit, they could do anything they wanted. And there yeah. was no way right. I was going to quit. Right. So I've been there just in a different uh, yeah. station and situation, as a matter of fact. Yep. And once you do it, it just becomes like, all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, right. I know what you're doing. Exactly no right. Way. Exactly right. So when was, what was Kale? Because Kale, you were there. What years were you there? Mm. So I had done, I had done KLOU. I did Casey KLOU. Oh, this is great. You're going to talk about People were stunned. After Casey, I took about a year off. And I love country music. And I went and joined Kicks 106 as their morning DJ. Then you got uh, everybody in consternation. That you're on a country yeah. And you're a phony and all this kind of stuff. The beautiful thing about it is they don't realize it gets people to listen to you. And uh, so we had a nice run there. And then How I, long were you there? I'd say a year and a half. Okay. Uh, then I moved back to Indianapolis to work for Emmis at the renewed WNAP. And then I got uh, jacked around over there. That's another story. 
Uh, this is it, a good lesson for the kids thinking well, yeah, about getting a radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not complaining. I'm explaining. Yeah, right? absolutely, man. I no complaints whatsoever. This is like I told everybody at uh, 590 and 1180 uh, when I left. It's like this is one of the most magnificent experiences I've ever had in radio. And, uh, and these are all great experiences if you learn from them and if you apply the learning correctly. And so I understand it's business, you know. I don't conduct my business in the uh, nefarious way that some of these guys yeah. do, but it's business. So that's cool. They, uh, uh, no one ever, uh, reneged on a contract because I always had good lawyers and, and the contracts were relatively tight, you know? So, uh, then I, uh, wind up moving to Phoenix and then we lived there about two and a half years. I got a call to come on back to St. Louis and it was JC in the morning, smash in the afternoon. So that was pretty. Hey, what uh, station was that? That was a KSD. Okay. And Steve Brill was the guy who was running that place. And he invited me to come on back, him and this is a lady, Karen Carroll. And so uh, after that, uh, <laughs> uh, we're in this tall building right across from Union Station, across from the, the fountains. And, uh, and they had. I was there maybe about three years, and they had like four, five different formats in there. You know, so one time a guy said, Smash, you've been at every radio station in this town. Yeah, but I've been in the same building, <laughs> all right? <laughs> They're the ones changing the format. I ain't traveling around. I'm in the same building. So, uh, yeah, somebody one time uh, asked me, and they don't understand. Uh, it was uh, Randy Carricker. He didn't ask me. They were talking about Randy Carricker. I said, well, how come this Randy Carricker goes station to station to station? And I looked at him. I said, because he's good. If he wasn't no good, he couldn't be asked to come to these stations. Oh, well, uh, you know, I never thought about it that way. So <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, it's a unique business. It's show business and show business, even for movie stars, even for today's show hosts, it's show business, and you got to get a nice, tight contract. If you don't care about contracts, then you've got to be not afraid to leave. Because I always tell the kids when I used to, you know, do lectures at Almsdale uh, or wherever they would have me, um, say, you know, they asked me about getting an agent. I say, get an agent if you don't mind losing the gig. All right. Because if you don't mind losing the gig, then get an agent. Because you may not get the gig if the mm -hmm. agent don't play right with uh, these guys so uh that's the advice i always uh, gave to them and uh i agent myself now i've got enough experience that uh, i take care of myself uh, i got a, a happy-go-lucky small media company that i work out of and i got the, my studio in my house and i just fire stuff out around the country commercials and um i was working four stations uh for a while i now just work one because all those stations uh, have dissipated, shall we say? Yeah. And I'd send them uh, shows, uh, just doing them in my house. So I now have a show that plays on um, 104.5, the Westplex out there. It's called KSLQ. Beautiful. Just it's the Westplex. They're out of Washington, Missouri. So you take it right to about 270, and there's so much revenue and 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 people out there that uh, it's a magnificent place to, to try to, you know, prosper from. Mm -hmm. And so I got a show called The People's Praise Party. And The People's Praise Party is um, I growing up, 
like I said, I grew up in a black community. I loved gospel, gospel music. And so I'm looking around the country, I'm looking here, ain't nobody playing gospel. Now they got stations that are playing the beautiful, glistening, wonderful Jesus, and I love Jesus. Um, but ain't nobody playing the down and dirty, nitty gritty Jesus, the old Negro spirituals, the Southern Baptist rock and roll and stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I thought, I will. And so uh, I got my sponsors, I do my show, I just started trying to sell it around the country. It got turned down, but there are other Christian uh, groups, and uh, it's a pretty uh, banging show. And you do this from your home? I do it from the house, and then I forward it uh, up to KSLQ. They put it on Sunday mornings at 6 a.m., so you get the uh, church getting ready to go to church crowd. But the main thing is, is the platform. The platform is KSLQ, and if somebody's listening, fantastic, and hopefully they are because they, they uh, you know, back the sponsors and everything. But it's a platform to allow me to be able to say, yeah, I'm on this station, Wichita, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm on this station, yeah. and, and you just grow the thing like that. And uh, so here at 70 years of age, I'm just kind of like on a, a really magnificent fade, and uh, I'm enjoying it uh, in my own individualistic fashion. You have such a great perspective on all of this. So many questions come from listening to you tell these stories. I don't want to miss any of them. First off, I'm thinking like somebody's 20 years old and they want to get into this thing. Yeah. You have this perspective. I always value the people who have actually been there. It's like, man, what do I know? I haven't been there. Smash has been there. What what pieces of advice would you give or one piece of advice oh, yeah. that you've tried to live by for this particular industry? Parents would always come up to me, even in the on the band side uh, and on the uh, radio side, TV side. They would say, what's the, the best class that I ought to put Junior in? He's getting ready to go to college. I told him, because he wants to be a radio guy. He wants to be a musician. He's a great cello player, whatever it might be. But I always tell him, and it startles everybody, the best class you could put him in is business 101. Because if you don't know how to run the business, the business will run you over. This is, and this so is, this is important listening right now. That's what I, anymore. That's what I think I tell so them. many people in our business feel like this is the way it always goes down. Whenever somebody in our business loses their job, usually, especially in the sports talk, Dan Caesar's the one who writes about it in the Post Dispatch. I don't know how it was covered when you were at KC yeah, and yet the Dan radio Caesar. was okay. Right. Uh, it would always be, oh, that guy got screwed or mm-hmm. that show got screwed. Mm-hmm. But in reality, because of what you're talking about, Smash, if the money's coming in, they're not going to mess with you most of the time. I don't know. Maybe yeah. you've had some experiences where you could say otherwise, but that, that, yeah. like the revenue is what shows and proves. But yeah. in reality, the revenue, unlike a batting average or an ERA, is not public. So yeah. the public has no idea what's really right going on. on behind the scenes. And then if I explain it by going, yeah, they weren't driving any advertising revenue, then I look like an asshole because I just embarrassed them on right. that. But that's the real reason. It's a yeah. tough spot. So the business part for us is something that most of us don't learn. You know, yeah. when I went to Missouri Journalism School. They never talked about the business of it, yeah. they just said, you know, here's how you deliver and here's your facial expressions yeah, right. when you're on the camera. And I'm like, that right. doesn't matter if I'm not driving revenue. No, that doesn't matter. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Because I used to tell uh, kids, well, you got to have a radio voice and you've got to talk like that and you've really got to project and get across. <laughs> you have a good fake radio <laughs> voice, by the way. <laughs> I always felt sorry for those guys because they, they're just being phony. Yeah. So uh, anyway... Uh, I, I tell I tell these folks, you don't have to have a big, booming radio voice. <laughs> what you need to have is a big, booming personality. I used to listen to a guy when I was a kid 
on WIFE radio, and he would broadcast in, uh, not WIFE, he broadcast in, I think it was WGN out of Chicago. We used to get it on our transistor radio. I'd listen to it. At, uh, I had transistor radio under my pillow, so my mom and pop wouldn't hear me listen to radio when I was supposed to sleep. <laughs> anyway, this guy's name was Barney Pip. And Barney Pip had the highest voice to talk like that. And uh, and it's kind of like, well, if Barney Pip could make it, then couldn't anybody make it? So don't let anybody say, you know, you got to have a radio voice. What you got to have is a personality and know how to deliver that personality, whether it be for yourself, whether it be for this news story that's being happening here, or whether it be for a uh, uh, public service situation that you, you're doing. You just got to know how to uh, create delivery and let that delivery land. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking with all that you've been able to experience, is there a, is there a moment, is there a job, is there a period in all of this where you go, man, that was, now I can look back on it. Mm -hmm. That was the absolute best. That was the best. That's when I feel like I was. Oh. It, well, uh, you know, the, the best era for me was uh, all these stations gave me the opportunity to be the personality slash actor that I wanted to be. Because I really wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be in the movies uh, uh, and all that. Because Jim Brown, the football player, yeah. went from football sure. to, to acting. And I was a football player. I thought, oh, I'll be like Jim Brown and be an actor. And then you get all the girls and all this kind of stuff. And I was a young guy, testosterone laden. So that's what I was going for. So the uh, the main thing uh, in, in reality is be someplace where you can achieve what you wanted to achieve. And that is I decided to have a family. I wanted them to live well, and I wanted mom to be home for the, the kids. I told her, I said, I don't want you working. How many kids did you have? Well, I got three, one from the first wife and, and two from, from this wife. And um, uh, with my wife that I had the two kids with, yeah, I'll go ahead and work, but not till after they're in high school and can take care of themselves and everything. So that was our, our plan. That's what we did, and it worked out magnificently. And so... Now, uh, I'm by myself. My wife had passed away. My kids had grown up and they moved to other places. And uh, now, it's kind of like when you needed $200,000 a year to live because you're supporting seven people at one time. I'm mm -hmm. supporting seven people. My family and extended family. Uh, now, you can make like 50 Gs a year. And it's like you're making 200 Gs a year mm -hmm. because you ain't got these other folks. As much as I would love to have those folks back and with me. Um you know, everything uh, adapts. And so you want to talk about the pressure being off. And uh, it's kind of like I'm, I've said things here that I've never said before because I wasn't done with being the provider that I was brought up to be because mom and pop were providers. And they made sure the family was taken care of. We're of a Greek mentality. It's a European mentality. The father is the provider. The mom takes care to make sure that the father can go out to the right work. And, and mom was a secretary. And uh, I once asked Pop, because remember, I, I said he wanted me to be a doctor. Right. And we're sitting on the porch of the house, just rocking. Pop's maybe 75. I said, Pop, why did you want me to be a doctor? Because I really wasn't his son until he saw me on TV for the first time. And this, oh, my son. That <laughs> <laughs> was great. I said, why did you want me to be a doctor? He fought in Greece. He fought the fascists, when Mussolini tried to take over the, the country, he fought up in the in the woods. Uh, he was a guerrilla fighter. They were called Andartes. And then the Nazis did take over 
they fended uh, the Italians away. The Nazis did take over. Then after the Nazis were gone, um, he stayed in the woods fighting uh, the communists. And so now the Cold War is going on. And we had moved to America. And he said to me, the one thing that I know from my life's experience, Pop's life experience, is that if the communists would have won the Cold War, and we didn't know what was going to come of the Cold War. They're going to drop bombs. Is it going to be just a nerve-wracking type of thing? What was it going to be? If they had won and taken over America, this is a guy who saw the Italians try to take over, the Nazis take over, and the communists try to take over. He said, the thing the communists won't do, they won't kill the doctors. And I thought, holy mackerel, what a perspective. Wow, you know? that was the reason. That was the reason. They won't kill the doctors. They'll kill the entertainers. <laughs> they'll, they'll kill the tennis stars. They'll kill the basketball players. But uh, they won't kill the doctors. And when you come to think of it, they probably won't. You know? And so I, I wish I'd have known that in the early on. Uh, and I came to understand that. And, of course, had a more humongous appreciation of pop. Yeah. My yeah. God, what a story. Is that wild? What a story. That, they that, won't was, the, kill. that was the foresight yeah. for wanting you to be a doctor. You yeah. asked them that question. Yeah. I always, the thing that, that I try to explain to people, and you're doing a, a much better job than I, is, like, when, when I'm on the air, that's not the work. That's the best. Mm -hmm. But it's the bullshit mm -hmm. that we both have experienced. Right off the air that is so stressful. And now with a family, with a wife and a son, yeah. I'm in I'm in provider mode that, yeah. that you were in. Beautiful that, family, by the way. Thank you so much. Yeah. That I that that's what stresses me out. So you're going through, you're bouncing around, having these incredible runs, but then you run into Mr. Guy and mm -hmm. you know this random asshole yeah. who auditions people right. while you're on vacation. Right. What was that like while you're while you're trying to provide? I mean that that's what would put me on tilt. I'd have a tough time with that stuff. But like you said, you can't let them beat you. Yeah, right. So what are you thinking when you're going through that? Well, stuff? when I'm going through that, it let me know it's time for me to prepare to move on to whatever might be next. And so I did. And uh, I was able to, I, and another thing I would tell the kids, save your money. My old yeah. man always tell me save my money. And I, of course, didn't. And then when I became a provider, I started saving Absolutely. my money. So I, I saved my money enough to take time off. And then I wanted to go do what I wanted to go do. And I wanted to go do something. If I come back onto St. Louis radio after leaving Casey, what am I going to do? Got to do something different. I don't want to come back and do the same thing. Uh, and so I took to country music. And so the main thing is, is to prepare yourself. And this is one of the things I uh, taught my youngsters. And uh, it's, it's worked. So if you're making, let's say, $50,000 a year, you got to save your money. If you're making $50,000 a year, put 25 of it away in the bank and live off of 25. That way, if something goes bad, you still got this year of 25, this year of 25, mm -hmm. this year of 25, because you've saved your money mm -hmm. and you don't have to change your level of living. You don't have to scramble yeah. because you have your 25 in place from the years that you were working. Now, you know, some people say, well, you know, cars cost more and all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. So, I mean, it might be a different percentage uh, and everything, but that's what I, I uh, pervade in, in the early days. So when my old man used to beat into my head, save your money, save your money. Well, you know, he didn't have uh, marijuana to buy. He didn't have. Did <laughs> you politely explain yeah. that to him or was that something you left out? <laughs> he didn't have the same rock and roll records to buy. You know, he didn't, he didn't have any of that kind of stuff back then. And so. Uh, you know, it's, it's wild to uh, look at it all and 
I have become my father and I've become my mother. And yet in their best ways have I become them. And yet in an even better way, because I understand the modern day that they only understood their European ancestral right. roots. You, you see what I'm saying? And so I understood the modern day. I was able to apply correctly. It's like when we were living uh, first in the early days in Indianapolis, um, the kids, when we were in the house, we spoke Greek. We ate Greek. Everything was Greek. And it's like we couldn't wait to get out of the house because we we're in America. <laughs> see? So it was like two cultural situations because in that house you – talked Greek, sure. but outside the house, hey, you got to be an American yeah. now. It's a whole different kind of freedom and all this kind of stuff, you know? So that was a, uh, you know, it was a, a great lesson uh, and to to watch things change, you know, it's, it's kind of like that old saying, you know, change gives you the opportunity to better yourself. And if you don't take advantage of the opportunity, then change is uh, your demise. You don't have to let change be your demise. Final thought. I was thinking about this, knowing that you were coming in and we we're going to be doing this. And I was, and it's it's not a slight to anybody else, because maybe as uh, Tony LaRusso would like to say, everybody's tied for first. But if people <laughs> in St. Louis media history, so we're talking radio, television, print, digital, whatever anybody wants to encompass, I don't know if there would be somebody who would be more well-liked across the board than you. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, you're you're kind of like, well, I don't know. But that, that's yeah. part of the reason why you're so likable is you're like, well, maybe, I don't know. But I yeah. mean, for real, I don't know anybody that would go, oh, smash that guy. What a motherfucker. He, I mean, they're, 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 they're <laughs> right go, up. oh, he's the greatest. Uh, he's the greatest. And then that's saying something, because usually the guys who are up here, mm -hmm. inevitably, you're going to have people cheap shotting them. And maybe that maybe yeah. that was going on and back when you were talking about yeah. the radio wars. I don't right. know. But I mean, I think there's a great deal of respect Part of it, of course, is the talent, but I think even more so, it's the way that you carry yourself and treat people. That's a, that's that's a hell of a legacy, man. In addition to your ridiculous career. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I appreciate it because I, in my time, have been treated well and I've been mistreated, and I know what I would want purveying from me when I'm with somebody, and I know what I wouldn't, and I wouldn't want the mistreating part. It's almost like when you have these. Uh, I may get some people pissed off right now. When you have these pedophiles and they say, well, I was uh, mistreated as a, as a young man. That's why I became a pedophile. Well, it's like, well, if you knew that wasn't right, why would you do that to somebody else? Why would you do that to some young kid when you know it wasn't right for you? I wouldn't treat somebody the way I was mistreated. I treated them the way I was good treated. Yeah. You know, you learn from that's the truth. That's what you're man. supposed to that's, do. That's the game. Like I watched in my early days in my career go, okay, I know what he just did right there. Pissed off the entire station. <laughs> right. So if I'm in a position where I'm operating a station, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just know not to do that shit. Yeah, right <laughs> that's on. what I know. Right on. So, yeah. But I mean, it also, it's just the way you carry yourself across the board. I mean, entertaining people in St. Louis with the smash band for, for years. Yeah, that's been a good radio. Run. I mean, it's. I'm closing it up uh, New Year's Eve. Oh, the final performance. Yeah, that'd be the final one. Um. I've been doing it 52 years, oh, so yeah. I'm going to relax. I'm going to do some other projects, and I'm going to go travel around and uh, do things that uh, 52 years worth of Friday and Saturday night gigging <laughs> didn't allow me to do. So that's 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 what I'm going to do. I'm going to close it up. But once a band guy, every, uh, you're always a band guy. Right. So I may start something 
four years from now. But I'll be 75 and probably be like, ah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to lug any band equipment or any that kind of stuff around, you know. But uh, the band is how I started, man. I saw the Beatles and I wanted to be the Beatles. And it's taken me to this point in time, man. Fantastic. It's an incredible story. Yeah. And you maintained it all while not being an asshole. <laughs> 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 that is that, that's the biggest uh, thing. <laughs> yeah yeah that's the toughest thing to do well good i appreciate i appreciate that because you know i i've worked for assholes and uh it's like why are you being an asshole especially to me i'm i'm a good guy all i want to do is strive to excel for you and you're over here trying to, to demean and diminish me like mr guy right and uh and all to make money for the company because i know and we'll get back to Mr. Guy, and I, I, I'll take off. But, you know, one of the things that people don't understand is if Mr. Guy could have got me to quit and save the company $150,000, then Mr. Guy probably got a portion of that $150,000. Sure. So Mr. Guy wants me out of there because he wants his 10%. Absolutely. So nice to get a little, get rid of Ben Ruby, and, uh, hey, I got $15,000. That's my 10%. And it's kind of like, nah. No, these punk asses, man. You just gotta square off with them, you know. <laughs> and then they peel off the hundred fifty k to you. Yeah, that's the win. That's the win. That's the win. Yeah, yeah. This has been uh, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much uh, for coming in. I've enjoyed it. I some of, I had I mean, doctor, football player. You know <laughs> the, the right. stories. I mean, and this classic, and uh, and like I said, in the whole way through, uh, just first class. So thank you so much. For I'm your glad time to be here, man. I'm glad to be here because I, I tell you what, when Kenny called me, I thought, what in the world would he be calling me for? Because <laughs> he's bringing five ninety the man and thirteen eighty the woman back together. And so he said, uh, talked about the podcast. I said, yeah, let's go because um, he was always a good guy. Although we had friction between us, but always based on respect. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always appreciate and appreciated what you do people don't know it's because you do more than i ever did man because you out there you, you're, getting spon you're getting sponsors and all yeah. that kind of stuff we also had people running and getting them for us but uh you and your crew i uh, applaud you and i ain't sucking up or i ain't brown nosing none of that stuff i'm just uh telling you what the real is man well i appreciate it. this yep. has been for real when he said you're coming in i'm like oh my god this could this could this could go this could go Good. forever because i got so much to ask him and i didn't want to miss anything and i went back and uh and read up and then i like like i said went back to the youtube uh 87 interview with yeah. Rose. i'm like look at this yeah. going on look at smash something man that was something i've been blessed man you know you're blessed going in you're blessed going out and the thing about it is uh even in situations where i had to leave or a situation where I got to stay, you, you look at it as a, as a blessing, you know? Yeah. Well, it's been incredible. Thank you All right, so cool, much man. for the time. Glad man. to be here. So there it is. Conversation with a legend. Smash here on the Tim McKernan Show. Really hope you enjoyed it. Your feedback's always welcome. Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Thank you to our sponsors for making it possible. Ryan Kelly, TheHomeLoanExpert.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. EvergreenSTL.com. James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. CarltonInsurance.net. Design Air Heating and Cooling, online at designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest, and Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Highway 270, and the Washington Elizabeth Exit online at landoff.com. Chevy, find new roads. So, yeah, man, that's the kind of interview when you're 
when you've done it all and you can look back and go, yeah, at this point, I don't really give a shit. Here's what I think that you can do. And then also the fact that he's not like some guy who everybody goes, oh, yeah, you're interviewing him. Well, he's kind of an asshole, so he's going to bitch about stuff. Everybody goes, this guy's the greatest. He's like the nicest guy, and he's done it all, and he did it at a bunch of different places and a bunch of different markets over a bunch of different decades, and a bunch of people revere him, and he's still saying, well, it's been great, but here are some of the stories about the shit that makes it rough. But his perspective's so healthy. Um, for real, just a really likable guy. And... And he knows how to do a show because he he led off with what many people uh, who are fans of TMA wanted to hear about, which is the 590, the man, 1380, the woman experience. And then, Gangster Pete, you were kind enough to instruct a man who worked with Howard Stern and worked in D.C. to talk into the microphone. That was that was a really nice gesture. Yeah, I, I felt kind of dumb. You wanted those words. You it. wanted to reach out and grab those words as they were coming out of your mouth. Yeah, I listen to too much Rogan. He's always telling people to talk into the microphone, and you know, <laughs> well, that's like when he's talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson. This guy's, you know, yeah, yeah. That's, since... that's why I felt dumb. <laughs> and then Smash, being as nice as he is, goes, "Oh, is that this thing right here?" <laughs> <laughs> but um, man, I don't know. I mean. Like I said, I knew I thought I knew a lot about him, and uh, and I read up and watched, as I said, some some of the YouTube clips from over the years going into it. And I, I emailed Iggy. I said, "Hey, I know you know even more than I do about Smash. Could you pull up some stuff?" And then Pete types out the notes, and so I have all this stuff in front of me. And even that didn't encompass it. Um, and how cool is it that his dad was thinking, if the communists take over, they won't kill my son if he's a doctor, and that was the reason why he wanted him to be a doctor. Um, and I went back, like I said, and I watched that Guns N' Roses interview. And this is right. Guns N' Roses hadn't blown up yet. And so Smash is sitting there on the Headbangers Ball, and you can watch us on YouTube. It's, you know, it's an, 80, it's an interview from 87. And he's interviewing these guys. And, I mean, like he said, they're, they're kind of in a mode of being too cool for school. But they are talking to him. And then they destroy the set. And I'm just like, wow, what the hell's going on here? But I didn't realize it was the last day for that set, as he explained. Um. And the life he has lived and the perspective he has, I don't know. I just, I really, that was, that was one where if he wouldn't have said early in the interview where somebody said, yeah, I'm going to have you come in for an hour and 45 minutes. And I'm like, what the hell is it? Who, you can watch a movie in an hour and 45 minutes. That was kind of a clue to me like, oh, I shouldn't go an hour and 45 minutes. But I could have, I could have gone four hours and 45 minutes with him. Um, just, I don't know. I just have a great, that, that's one that's kind of like a box I check off to, uh, to have him to have him on, even if, hell, even if it wouldn't have been recorded, just to like sit at a bar and bullshit with him. Just a, just a good guy who is, who's done it all and has incredible perspective. So thank you to Iggy and Gangster Pete for making that possible. Thank you to you for listening and our sponsors for sponsoring. Remember to subscribe to the podcast because we do this every Monday and uh, we have questions from the audience every Wednesday. Any questions, welcome. Anything. Team McKernan at InsideSTL.com. And our gambling podcast, which is an absolute dumpster fire, as I say this at this moment. I mean, we might we might have a guy break a record for uh, win percentage against the spread. And I'm talking about the wrong way after he was on the right way in 2018. And that is the weatherman. But either way, uh, listen and then bet against him and then you win. That's how you win on the Pick 6 podcast. For Gangster Pete, for AGM, Tim McKernan, thanks for listening to the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studio. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial.
Peloton, motivation that moves you.